0: any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic
1: so today
0: we are joined
1: by a past guest on the into the impossible podcast and now i can add to her many Accolades I can add. Uh, she is an author, a published author, and she has always been an artist, and she has been an astronaut, and all these triple A. Uh, she's a triple threat in many ways, and it's uh, uh, Nicole Scott joining Scott joining us from the uh, from the East Coast, from Florida, right, Nicole?
0: Yep. Yep. St. Petersburg, Florida.
1: And Nicole was, yeah. um, I think, you were my second astronaut guest. I had Dr. Jessica Meyer on. In January oh, yeah. of last year and that was really fun because uh, she was live on the International Space Station at the time.
0: can't yeah, get me better <laughs> than that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good get, although when I talked to her again she was in Houston Uh, At the end of last year, uh, we pointed out that's five times farther away than the International Space Station uh, when it flies overhead. Uh, But last year you joined us to talk about your uh, space for art and other projects, and now today we're going to talk about your book, Back to Earth, and the subtitle is What Life in Space Taught Me About Our Home Planet and Our Mission to Protect It. And I want to start, as I always do, Nicole, uh, playing a game called judging books by their covers. You're never supposed to do that. But, you know, what else can you use to, to understand uh, <laughs> uh, what, the, what a book is about? So this is a lovely book. Your publisher sent it to me earlier in the year. I've been uh, just dying to, uh, to get it in as many versions as possible. There's a link in the video description below. So please, um, please click there. But I wanted to start off by asking you to describe how you came up with the cover, the title, and the subtitle.
0: Well, I think I'll start with the the title and the subtitle, if that's okay. Um, the title was something that uh, I, I think from the time I was starting to think about writing a book, um, it, that title was with me. This whole idea of, of back to earth, and uh, what it's what it really is referring to is how we take uh, you know all this amazing work we've been doing as of this international community on the international space station and how we bring that back to earth in a way that allows us all you know to acknowledge our role as crewmates versus passengers here on spaceship earth Mm -hmm. and um the subtitle what life in space taught me about our home planet and our mission to protect it is really i think what underlies this whole idea of bringing everything back to earth which is You know, I mean, one of the things I I learned, which I knew in kindergarten, but I will tell you, it became reality for me from space is that, oh, my gosh, you know, looking out the window, it's like, wow, we live on a planet. (laughs) That's, you know, it seems so simple, I know, but I I don't know about you, but I hadn't really found myself thinking about that, you know, really, really considering that on a daily basis. Right. And I can tell you after flying in space, I do. Now, I don't think that I learned everything there is about the way our planet works and all that kind of thing, but in how we relate to it, uh, that's what I'm really trying to get at. And then, you know, our mission to protect it, um, the it is bigger than I think the planet. The Mm -hmm. it is, you know, recognizing that just like this mechanical life support system we've built in space, uh, you know, to do everything we can to mimic what Earth does for us naturally, um, the it is about... Earth is our life support system, but it's about doing that in a way that allows, you know, us and all the life that it supports to thrive.
1: Excellent. <clears throat> now, what I uh, really enjoyed was uh, actually skipping all the way to the acknowledgements. You know, I hate, as an author, when a, pod- <laughs> <laughs> when a podcaster will ask me, you know, what, uh, what's your entire book about? Uh, can you read the book? Uh, can, you, uh, can you eliminate the need for my audience to have to buy the book? No, 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 we're not gonna do that. This book is delightful, it should be savored, but I found the acknowledgements very, very uh, provocative and in, in an interesting way. First of all, they're, they're a couple pages long, which is to be commended. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) and second of all they begin with an acknowledgement not to your family not to the publisher (laughs) but to captain kirk uh i want to talk about captain kirk uh, because i've been fascinated with him for a long time long before i starred with him this past summer on unexplained with william shatner Uh, but uh but we're not here to talk about me but uh i do have an imdb imdb credit with him but i want to ask you um, what is uh, he to you? Uh, what is Star Trek to you? Uh, what do you think he's going to learn when he comes back from space? As I understand it, he mm. is going to space, right?
0: He is going to... Yeah, he's launching to <coughs> space on book launch day, next next Tuesday, yeah. as, as best I understand, if they stick to their schedule. And, you know, um, I don't know if it's about, just about Captain Kirk, really. I think, for me, though, my earliest memories of... Anything sci fi, you know, as a kid, um, are Star Trek. And I'm so thankful for that because, you know, Star Trek to me, and I think to a lot of people, I hope, is this presentation of a future that I think we would all probably like to be a part of right yeah you know one that where earth is still surviving and you know people are thriving on on our home planet (laughs) and we are exploring you know beyond our solar the interstellar travel is happening and you know for the most part that's happening in a very positive way and um You know, when I think about sci-fi becoming sci-fact, which, you know, I think we see this happening all the time, Uh, things that were first just imagined in some story somewhere that we now, you know, I look at my phone and I think about that. (laughs) And um, I I don't know, I just think Star Trek brought to light this, this very positive and encouraging inspirational future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and to many people, I think they'd be curious um, you know, about how you would expect him to react when he does yeah. return, hopefully safely to Earth. What, what do you think that will mean for him, you know, spiritually, psychologically, scientifically? What do you think that will connect the dots in his oh, mind to do
0: Well, I, you know, I'm so excited for all of these people that are having this opportunity. Um, first of all, if I had uh, a chance to give him a little bit of advice before he flies, I would suggest that, uh, as they launch and when he gets, you know, into that suborbital space and is coming over the top of that, you know, that parabola perhaps, you know, that, um, yeah, loosen your belt a little bit, float up in your seat, but. From the time you get on board that spaceship, I want your face in the window. I don't want you worrying about flipping around and throwing gel. I, I don't want you thinking about anything other than just absorbing this um, stunning, you know, view of your home out the window and trying to just just suck that in um, mm. to have it become a part of you. Um, you know, I think about you know. William Shatner as Captain Kirk. I mean, all these adventures that they went on. You know, the the places that they saw in the universe, the other um, life that they they met, and you know, underlying all of that would be what is the what is the home for any one of those beings? You know, what is the you see the crew in their own ways thinking and always engaging in conversation about where they're from and what they consider home to be. And I want William Shatner to um, just really establish a new relationship with with Earth as a planet, as his home. Hmm. And and I hope that um, by keeping that face in the window, he'll be able to do that. Yeah. And I think we all come back after that experience um, and others, even ones we have here on Earth, you know, with a call to action. And I'd like to think that he would be rallying, you know, just like I am with this book for, you know, for everyone he needs to be. Right be crewmates, you know, find your role as crew here, not passengers.
1: Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> thinking about, oops, thinking about how he would react to it. I also can't resist mentioning the kind of real frequent call out to, to the famous earth picture, you know, where mm-hmm. Kirk is going boldly away from the earth, but this, book is focused on being on earth back to earth and the life lessons you learned as an astronaut i remember hearing i was it mitchell or um uh i think edgar mitchell i think it's
0: calling him yeah so he says
1: you know i i just when i'm up there i just want to take a congressman up there and say look at that you son of a bitch look at that and i i kind of am depressed by that nicole because i feel like if it really takes, you know, people going to space <laughs> before they get that uh, impression, uh, you know, is is this book kind of designed to have low cost space travel, you know, for the 1999 that this book is certainly <laughs> worth, uh, can that replace that by getting your honest perspectives on how it affected you personally? Can that replace taking the Congressman to space?
0: <laughs> well, I I'll, I can tell you that I think every Every astronaut, every crew of astronauts, and one of their conversations when they're floating around the dinner table, you know, during their mission, this comes up. Now, man, if we could just get all these world leaders, you know, their heads bouncing off each other, looking through this window. And and I'm I'm gonna be heading in November to COP26, you know, in Glasgow. And all I can think is, man, if we could just lift these folks off the planet and have them look back at what they're talking about, how incredible, how life-changing that would be. And yet, I really, really don't believe you should have to leave Earth to understand this you know—the sense of an Earthrise moment, this mm-hmm. idea of the connection, the relationship we have to our planet and to all life we share it with. You should not have to, to get on a spaceship and travel to space to do that. If you do get lucky enough to get on that spaceship, I hope to, you know who, I mean, I hope to God that you are sucking that view in and letting it impress you in every way that it possibly can. But you don't have to leave the planet to do that. I hope, I hope that the stories in my book and that the people that I share who are doing such incredible crew member kinds of things already here on Earth um, will encourage everyone that reads it to just, I mean, really take the time every day to look around mm. and appreciate the awe and wonder that surrounds you every day. Look up, look around, look down, you know, feel your feet touching the planet, you know, and acknowledge that. And I think that that gets into you and and hopefully it starts to impact the decisions that you make and the way you treat, you know, everyone around you and the way you treat the planet. It's um, it's really a pretty simple underlying theme of what we all share in common. Another day is here and you're ready
1: for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. uh, as I've heard, you know, the earth is in peril, the earth is in danger. Uh, the earth's gonna go on, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. with or without us, right? Um, yeah. But the, the question of what's in peril, is it us? Is it is it, you know, all life on earth? What is that cosmic perspective that you've developed?
0: Well, I think that's the, you know, it's, I forget which chapter it is and where, you know, what page in the book that it is, but um, there's a, you know, there's an interesting, I think, and you know, like darkly funny um, excerpt from a George Carlin um, skit. But, um, you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, Earth's going to survive us. Right. Um, the And the things that we're doing to it right now that put our lives in jeopardy, the lives of, you know, the other creatures we share the planet with in jeopardy. Right. What we're doing is we're I mean, we're impacting the things about the life support system on this planet that supports our life. (laughs) And the planet, you know, we're like this blip, right? You know, it's kind of like when you're talking about how much money does NASA get from the government, where it's not even a line on the pie chart. It's the same thing with us, right? We're not even a line, you know, we're barely a faint little blip on the timeline of this planet. And, um, you know, it's survived worse than us. (laughs) And, And the problem is, you know, if we don't address what we're doing to it, we put our, you know, the peril is for us and for the other life we share the planet with. And the time that it will take the planet to recover may not support us. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think the peril is ours.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you talk about the, you know, kind of this this false dichotomy or false choice that, you know, we, we have to preserve the economy, preserve the environment. Um, and, uh, and they're sort of I- incompatible and whether or not that is actually a false dichotomy uh, is, is very interesting to me uh, and yet I often find, and my motto I've, in this channel is, is been of my many mottos, is you know, debate is pointless. Like, it's very rare you're going to convince someone by arguing at them or with them, etc. Um, on the yeah. other hand, if you can ask sort of what questions could it take to change their minds or their perspective, what would it take to convince you of X, Y, or Z? I think what I'm curious about is what would you most like people to change their minds about after reading this book? Obviously, the fans and the, the people that already agree with the thesis yeah. pre- presented in this book will follow along with it. But those that may be doubters, I don't know, I, I hate the word deniers, I really refuse to yeah. use it. Uh, but, but those that may be skeptics, um, and maybe in a good way, maybe not, but what, what would you say to them? What would you say to convince them that maybe they should consider an alternative perspective?
0: Yeah, I, well, I you know what you were first saying at first about this kind of conflict between economy and nature, and um, can they not overlap? Um, I think that uh, you know one of the people I interview in the book is Mark Tursek, who was the former CEO of Nature Conservancy, and what I love about well, there's a number of things. You know, one is he went from being you know a vice president at Goldman Sachs, where his life was about making money, you know, making money for his clients, right, and he um was on a vacation with his family and had you know one of those epiphany perhaps earthrise moments where in a very life-changing way he discovered man i can be using these talents i have you know from the financial world to look at the way we treat nature
1: Mm.
0: you know and start to look at nature as as a commodity with value and that um that we should be and these are his words you know we should be protecting nature for us not from us Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think there's anybody you would meet that would would be opposed to enjoying some natural setting, would be opposed to uh, having a nice time on the water, um, would be opposed to clean drinking water. You know, I mean, these kind of clean air to breathe, those kinds of things. And I think in the end, what it comes down to is um, in whatever way it takes, quite honestly, For us to help everyone establish their own relationship with with Earth as our life support system. And that sounds a little bit weird, but, you know, the simplicity of something like, where does this clean drinking water that's coming through my faucet come from? How are we maintaining this air that's clean for me to breathe here? And yet I know on places on the planet that's not happening. And at some point that's going to impact me. Yes. You know, and 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 I honestly believe, like you said, um, you know, pounding the fist, um, the you know, nothing but a scare tactic, um, trying to guilt someone into, you know, changing their ways, especially if they, if they are comfortable and they don't get a sense that that comfort level will change, um, that is, that's that's not going to work. I think. I think we have to latch on to the things we have in common, um, like lift those up, look for the messages of hope that our scientists are giving us, us as well, mm-hmm. which they are. I mean, yeah, you know, the headlines will be insect apocalypse, and yet within that paper or that expression of the science, they're giving us the solutions too, right? <laughs> and, and we just need to figure out how to um, get everybody on board as crewmates. And, mm-hmm. and I know that's an oversimplification, but... It's incredible what we do with six or seven people on a space station and, I want to and talk how about that can parallel what we do down here. And
1: I want to talk about that next, but uh, I want to remind people we're talking with uh, my friend and former uh, past guest on the show. Uh, this is uh, Astro Nicole on Twitter, and she is Nicole Stott. I want to read her biography. She's the She was the second astronaut to come on uh, the Into the Impossible podcast. Uh, since then, uh, I've had... Uh, jessica mair who was my first guest live from the iss but uh she came back in late december on earth uh, closer to where we are now and she also uh was joined or followed by uh, uh nicole and then by uh, dr scott parazinski who i've invited to come yeah. to uh, join us if he's available dr scott is a friend of the show and he's Kind of makes my, me a little jealous because he's like my mom's favorite guest that I've ever had, and she just loves him. <laughs> I, I love him too, but uh, <laughs> I, I get a little nervous. Would uh, she's she, your
0: she's mom's like, favorite guest, not your mom's favorite host? Son,
1: yeah, that's host. yeah, that, that that would be a, a embarrassing. On Monday, or rather, uh, Tuesday, we have um, a commander Chris Hadfield. Uh, on the podcast and he has a book out called the Apollo murders. So Nicole, do you have a, uh, a murder mystery? Do you have a sci-fi fantasy? Do you have any other books coming down the pipeline after this wonderful book back to earth?
0: Um, not myself. I have some in my mind Ooh, that I'd works. love to, you know, love to bring to life, but um, nothing in the works yet. I am, um, you know, this is a, this is a pretty incredible process that you have to, you know, that you go yeah. through with the, kind of the proposal stage and this you know manipulation that happens of what the story is that you really want to put on paper and then the agent publisher actual writing process and now i you know i'm really i'm trying to savor i think this you know having the book come in the mail and hold it physically in my hand and then know that other people will be doing the same thing um yeah, I think I need to get through this whole yeah <laughs> thing first. Enjoy it,
1: yeah. <laughs> Promoting a book is as much work as writing a book. Uh, so yeah. Nicole, I just want to remind people she's an astronaut artist and a mom who spent over 100 days in space aboard the International Space Station. She had a 28-year career with NASA, and then she founded the Space for Art Foundation. We'll talk about that in a minute. She speaks to audiences around the world, including the Vatican, the UN at the uh, Historic Paris Agreement. And she is featured in National Geographic's One Strange Rock. And the painting that she created in space is displayed at the (laughs) Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. She lives in Florida with her family. She's a speaker and now she's an author. Uh, Really, you just do so much. You're such a Renaissance uh, soul. Uh, You really inspire me and make me feel like even more of a slacker than I actually am. Um, You mentioned before this crew aboard and i saw the book uh, maybe unintentionally maybe intentionally as a leadership book and um although you know there is no like real hierarchy like you might have in the military on this ship uh you guys are having this motto that you talk about in the book you know all for you know earth essentially um talk about this kind of hierarchical versus non-hierarchical structure why does nasa do it that way why do they um, you know, and, and not have a commander of the ship, you know, so to speak, as the military would do. What is the underlying um, benefit of that? And and maybe are there consequences? Like it's maybe there's efficiencies that are lost or something. We'll talk about leadership in space.
0: Wow. You know, that's a, uh, yeah, that's a great question. I think that, um, you know, as a crew, um, we, do, we do have a commander on the space station. And, you know, the, this, is an, this is an international group of people, uh, you know, on board the station, right? And it's one of the things I think is, like, it, it, its legacy, um, you know, besides the outstanding science that's being done there will be the way we've established and maintained these international relationships, where the way we've brought five international space agencies representing 15 different countries together, you know, peacefully and successfully to this um, mission working off the earth for the earth. And um, so in this crew that's on board the space station, you know, it's seven people now, I think is the normal size crew It was Mm -hmm. six when I was there. We represent all 15 of those countries, even if there's not somebody up there from, you know, one of those five agencies. Uh, But there is a commander and they rotate that through like each of the different countries, you know, in some way at some point gets uh, a commander role on the space station. The rules of engagement are all in place, you know, with the teams on the ground about how problems will be resolved. And and, and somehow, you know, this is another thing that just stands out to me somehow the heads of all these agencies and the people that run them um, were able to, I'm imagining, sit around a table or, you know, through some video conference. Um, able to establish these rules of engagement that, while it's not always, you know, um, uh, flowers and, you know, happiness, they, they have a way to work out the issues. And that then translates, I think, to how <clears throat> the crews work together on board with a commander, knowing that in some, some ways there is a hierarchy there, You're, you know, how you have all of your flight engineers and your commander, and and yet um, the day-to-day action on board that station is with everyone understanding their role, um, with the tasks that are sent to us on the schedule, with the way we work together on those, the communication with the ground, and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty rare thing where the commander either has to you know, take some overarching action or communicate with the ground, you know, independent of of the crew, mm-hmm. and I think that's because the you know these ways that we work with each other have been just established so nicely that it just flows. And we train together. You know, we train together um, in some pretty challenging situations. We go out into the wilderness and you know discover each of our own strengths and weaknesses and how we're gonna uh, balance those in succeeding at the mission Um, we train in every emergency situation that the ground team can consider might happen to us and it's incredible how uh, when you get to space the way you trained comes to life and is just like this effortless motion of six crew members floating around the station coming together to solve the problem in whatever the humanly possible way is to do that and I think that was one of the things I was most proud of um, as a crew was seeing that happen. You know, when the emergency alarm is blaring at three o'clock in the morning and you all float out of your crew compartment and the you know, you're like, OK, um, it, don't leave a don't leave a crew member behind. You know, you're accounting for all your crew members. Everybody's getting to the place where they know they're supposed to go to deal with the emergency. They're doing it. And then, you're you know, you kind of chill afterwards and you're like, oh, my gosh, we just did that. In a way that was probably there's probably no better way to do that, <laughs> and you can be really proud of that kind of thing. We can and we can rally the same way here on Earth for you know for any emergency alarm that's going off. I think we have the the ability to do that. We have to find the will, I think, to really come together and do. Yeah. It.
1: And one thing that you know has united the planet, <clears throat> you know, for better or for worse, in some ways, uh, is of course the COVID uh, pandemic. And mm-hmm. that actually, I remember uh, affected the astronaut crew. Obviously, they were completely isolated, the most isolated people on Earth. There were uh, similar people uh, above the Earth. Uh, the most isolated people on Earth were at the South Pole, where I've done some work. Uh, but at the uh, above the Earth were the um, denizens of the ISS. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk about how, you know, that experience and perhaps the lessons uh, of, you know, kind of spaceflight and, and crewing and leadership um, and, and also the side of fear, which I want to get into next, the topic of courage, fear, etc. Um, you know, how, how does that play into your thought process now and, and maybe within the realm of, of even the NASA philosophy itself, if you would?
0: Yeah, Uh, you know, as this whole last, gosh, it's almost two years now, this whole, well, let's not go there yet. No, this whole year and a half that's gone by where, you know, all of us, (laughs) you know, all of us were put into, and the, and the, all of us is all of us, like, you know, the, all the earthlings, right. Um, put into a very different situation than, than we're used to. And, you know, as that was all going down, um, you know, my family and I here in Florida, We stayed as close to home as you possibly can do during that time. We tried to respect all of the, again, you know, the rules of engagement that were in place to keep ourselves and, you know, everyone around us safe. Um, And I found myself thinking about that, you know, that isolation that happens to crew members on board a space station um, that just separates you from the planet. Um, And, you know, the things we do there to stay connected, I found myself wanting to do here. You know, I Mm -hmm. wanted to know that I had a way to communicate with my mom and my sisters and my Mm -hmm. in-laws and my friends and to even maybe more actively engage that, you know, to make sure they were doing all right um, when you couldn't physically go be in those places with those people. Um, I found myself looking out my window and, you know, spending time in my own yard in a way that was like, man, there's there's awesomeness and wonder around me. You know even in this place of of isolation and the same is true on a space station you know you get your face in front of the window and you get sucked into that view and then you know you got to set the alarm to remind yourself to go back to work it's a it's a transcendent kind of thing so i was hopeful and tried to share with the people that i know and through some media stuff too because we were getting asked the same question you know is how do you, how do we leverage these kinds of things in us to you know to to stay healthy to stay connected mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think you're right. What we just saw and are still experiencing um, around the world and the way humanity generally rallied, right? You know, we had people staying in their homes and coming out, and opening their windows and singing with each other, right? They couldn't get down in the street and be together, but they... They made these connections, mm-hmm. the kind of these human connections, they found new ways to do that when you couldn't physically be in the same place with somebody. And um, and it became really important to do those things. And it became important for us, just like with some of these other challenges we have, to acknowledge the science behind it, right? Mm-hmm. That sounds so simple, right? Yeah. Okay, you know, let's you know, you and I have, have some respect for science and we want everyone we know to have that respect and, you know, and to, to leverage it in a way that can, can lift us out of these problems that we're having. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I can't speak for you, but I have to believe that, that, that you know, we have all the technology we need to solve the problems that we have on the planet right now. Yeah. We have people, some of them in, you know, in this book I wrote that are already implementing those things you know, and trying to do so in a, on a planetary scale. And um, we just need to be, put, you know, putting ourselves in a position where regardless of what country you're from, which, you know, curve on the planet you, you know, live in, you know, this is, this is our one shared home that we have to um, come together to, you know, protect for the sake of all life that we share it with.
1: Absolutely. Well, Nicole and I talked last time, because I'm a parent and you're a parent, um, and we talked a lot about, about courage and fear. And I remember being really just leveled and, and affected by your statement that you never really feared for yourself. And it was always right. sort of um, more of a fear for your your son and, and what would happen, God forbid, right? Um, talk about that. I want to read uh, uh, just a quick... Um, uh, statement that I found and I think of you whenever I read it. Let's see if I can find it It's a quote from uh, from C.S. Lewis Let me see. I put it on here ah. Okay. C.S. C- 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 Lewis wrote courage is not simply one of the virtues but the form of every virtue at the testing point Try living in with moderation try being honest try pursuing knowledge try doing any of these in a the world that has forsaken wisdom Self-discipline and justice and see how far you get without courage. You'll be mocked um, I want to know you feel courage is kind of the opposite of fear or do you feel like they are not necessarily even on the same spectrum of emotions
0: well you know (laughs) that's a difficult question um you know the fear thing in the way that you describe it yeah i mean for me uh and i think this is true for uh, i'd like to think this was true for my my colleagues my crewmates is that um because of all that training we just talked about you know where you've You've um, discovered all of what we know to be the humanly possible things to overcome the the problems we might have, and figured out how to wait, to work together to to implement that. I, I think you feel prepared to deal, you know, to deal with what um, what might come during the mission or as you're getting there or coming home. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not to say that we don't understand that there's risks associated with um, with what we're doing to get to space, live there, and work there for even a short period of time, and come home. It's just that um, I think within the realm of what we can do about any of it that might go wrong, we, we feel comfortable. Mm. Um, there is a total respect <laughs> for, you know, for the for kind of the overall risk of, of this kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I found myself feeling like, man, I it, on the launch pad, worried about uh, my son and my husband watching me. And, and I think that's where I thought about courage, like how, you know, how courageous is this seven-year-old to be able to stand stand and watch his mom, you know, launch on a, on a rocket and, um, you know, to be there with his dad doing that. And, and, you know, I, we have to give our kids credit. I mean, they understand what's going on around them. You know, a seven-year-old gets what's, what's happening when a rocket is launching and, you know, and what that might mean for you know for his mom that's on board or for for his family for him Mm -hmm. and um, so that at the same time I'm thinking there had to be a a, he had to be feeling fear as well but he didn't run from it you Mm -hmm. know he didn't leave his dad standing on the launch control center you know roof watching it alone Um, he he stood by my husband in a way that um, I think speaks to how the rest of us can, you know, deal with the things going on around us, that we shouldn't, you know, run for cover when difficult things are happening in front of us, right? Mm -hmm. And and there are difficult things happening in front of us on, on Earth right now, on our planet, and we can't be running for cover. We have to find, you know, what is it in us that'll help us stand and, you know, take the action we need to, you know, to recover from whatever it is
1: you mentioned the frequent, you know, kind of tropes leveled against NASA that I think are based upon the fact that most people overestimate NASA's budget by, you know, a factor of a thousand. (laughs) At Um, least. What do you make of NASA's brand? I, I claim it's Probably the most powerful brand, you know, in terms of investment to return on investment, uh, and that I see people, you know, walking around with you know NASA t-shirts and and hats, and, and everyone's fascinated with space, and uh, from the world's most successful you know billionaires that are competing for NASA's partnerships, like Elon mm-hmm. Musk and, and Bezos and Branson. Um, but um, talk about the NASA brand. Is it is it uh, is it on the way up? Is it, is it sort of being burnished properly? What do you think about the stewardship of the NASA brand? Is it, is it better than ever? Or is it sort of maybe living on the fumes of glory from when you were in the active astronaut corps? <laughs> you no,
0: know, I think actually, I think it's always getting better. And I think it's, you know, you mentioned like, you know, seeing people in a NASA t-shirt, I was just in Dubai. And there were kids with NASA t-shirts, and they knew what it was. It's not like, oh, somebody gave them a t-shirt and they just wore it. I mean, they knew what it was. They wanted it. They were excited about it, and I think that has happened everywhere I've gone on the planet. You see, you see some of that. I mean, I get, I get uh, even when I was in the office, astronaut office, and even now I'll get requests for autographs from places that you know, you 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 just can't imagine a, a, a space being a thing that would be thought of, and, and it is, and I think NASA represents all of that. Mm-hmm. um i'm also a um a firm believer in the fact that um you know nasa right now and and always i think has done a really great job um primarily communicating to people that already love nasa
1: mm-hmm.
0: right and and where it's starting to improve is in a, in addressing the audiences that might not even know there's an international space station and that's where i think you know you know more work um Things that I'm happy to see happening, um, happening, are it, it needs to continue to happen. We need to be reaching out to the communities, the audiences that don't know there's an international space station, don't know that we have, um, you know, this plan to go back and settle on the moon permanently, and why. You know, the bigger question of why we would do that, why that's valuable. Um, they don't know that everything that these representatives of 15 different countries on the space station are doing up there is ultimately about improving life on Earth. And that's the kind of messaging that needs to get out more and more. And I'd actually like to see that coming out more and more from the names you mentioned, like, you know, the Bezos and the Bransons and the Musks, you know, there's some of it there. But I think underlying all of them, their motivation is very positively about how do we improve life on Earth? Mm. whether that's multiplanetary species kind of thing or lifting industry off the planet to, you know, a benign environment in space. You know, all of those things are about are about improving life on Earth.
1: <laughs> uh, next, I want to turn to uh, two of your uh, very closely held causes that I know about from our previous conversation last summer. Uh, which is has it having to do with art in space and also women in space. Um, mm-hmm. First, let's talk about how you painted this magnificent painting in space. <laughs> uh, I'll have a link to that in the video show notes. Um, but how do you actually paint a watercolor? Like, I, I could maybe spray paint you know, some graffiti <laughs> on the side, of, you know, tag the side of the ISS. I'd probably get kicked off. But um, yeah. how do you paint a watercolor? I mean, that's almost impossible to do in, in 1G, let alone zero. <laughs> how does <did> that
0: work? <laughs> yeah. watercolors are difficult just you know to make it look like what you want it to look like right Um, you know it was really fun and I think um, and we might have talked about this before but I really gosh I wish I would have activated my brain cell to videotape the whole experience Mm. of painting with watercolors in space because I think it would have been such a wonderful way to just describe what it was like to live in space in general right you go up there, the expectation, at least in a microgravity environment, is that everything's going to be a little bit different, right? Mm -hmm. You know, no matter what it is, um, how you wash your hair, the way you do science, you know, the way you move, it's all a little bit different in a microgravity environment. Doesn't mean it's more difficult. It's just different, you know, and you got to think about it like it's part of the adventure. Mm -hmm. So painting in space with watercolors was certainly that, you know, it, it like was Full evidence of how everything floats. You know, you're floating. Your brush is going to float if you let go of it. You might lose it, um, and you don't have a cup of water to dip your brush into. So you've got to like squirt out little balls of floating water to dip your brush into. And because of the way surface tension behaves in space, you know, even before you get the tip of the brush to the ball of water, it's moving. Like it's like it's attracted to and wanting to move onto the end of the brush and float around it. And you know, then you mush it on the colored you know, the colored paints and bring that colored ball of water up. And all the time you're having to be really careful to transport that ball of water to the paper now, because if you move too fast, it's just gonna, you know, splatter all over the place. And I would get in trouble, just like you spray paint on the side of the space station. You know, I'd get in trouble if I was splattering watercolor paint all over the the inside of the space station. It might actually might look kind of cool, but, um, and just the whole like process of it, the, The difference in the way the brush and the paint and the water behaved was just a really special part of it. Mm. And, you know, it, I think brought like the creativity in it to a new level because you were having to do it differently to try to, I don't know, paint a painting of something you'd seen out the window. And, um, I don't know the way I think about it. People look at my painting. They'll probably think, okay, what kindergartner did that, you know, but (laughs) um and in the end i'm I'm not really worried about whether somebody likes it or not right i i want them to look at it and it's like what we were talking about with nasa i want them to engage with me in the backstory like you know what what was the subject that where were you you know i could talk about being on this place you know where we're doing all these things off the earth for the earth and and perhaps engage somebody who didn't know about what we're doing in space in a way that you know that they're wanting to know more and um, and I, I'll tell you, I have experience where, you know, you talk to somebody about that app, you know, Spot the Station app where you can put your zip yeah. code in and it'll tell you when the space station is going to be flying overhead and where you can watch it come from and travel to to the other horizon. And that just, I that's so attractive to people, I think, because it's another way, right, to, to establish a relationship with this place that you might not have known anything about. And then as you watch that dot of light moving across the night sky you're like oh my gosh there's seven people on board that space station representing 15 different countries somehow for over 20 years working peacefully and successfully in that place and oh my gosh look at that you know and you do you establish a relationship with it and it's kind of like painting in space you you're going to talk to chris who played his guitar and saying <laughs> on board the station um you know, other astronauts since the very beginning have been doing creative things in space. And I think it's because we we want to bring our humanity with us. Yeah, it's it's a difference than in, in the robots, right? We want to bring huma- we want to put the human in human space flight. And I think that's a really that's a really compelling thing to think about as we're exploring further and further off our planet and establishing these relationships and knowing that everything we're doing needs to be coming back to Earth um, for the benefit of all life here
1: so we're gonna take some audience questions in just a minute we have some on YouTube we have some on Twitter spaces I have some questions from my own family. I want to take one more uh, opportunity to, uh, to discuss a topic that I know is near and dear to your heart, not just this week, which happens to be a special week uh, that you can explain to folks the, uh, what is the nature of this week's International Space Week as designated by the UN, and how does that play uh, a role in the lives of potential uh, female both uh, astronauts and non-astronauts, 35 uh, percent, as I understand it, of the astronaut office is female, uh, compared to 13 percent of the engineering workforce in general. So by you know just numbers, it would appear three times as good almost. Uh, but uh, what what what's you know, what's left for there to do, and what role do you see yourself and others playing? during this week, which uh, October 4th through the 11th, International Space Week, what participation is, is ongoing to ensure to reach the broadest panorama of, of the human intellect?
0: Well, I think that, you know, like World Space Week, first of all, with a women in space theme, you know, the the W and WSW is world. So the, you know, the, the audience is international and I've already participated on several different, uh, you know, panel sessions with other women, um, you know, India, Europe, uh, Africa, that have have these events going on where I think the key in all of it, and it's what we need to continue to do, and I think is what has allowed us to engage and in in, invite to encourage more women, young girls to participate in these kinds of, um, of fields is being present for them, right? And and that's what's happening during this week, um, during all these sessions, you know, really incredible women from all kinds of different backgrounds in space, um, you know, not just astronauts. And 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 in the end, it really isn't all about the astronauts, <laughs> you know. They we we tend to be the this this kind of focal point for things, but everything. That's being done to get us to space to do the work in space. Mm. You know, that's really the the valuable, most important part of what's going on. We we are like the implementers of it, right? right. <laughs> the hands of the scientists, whatever. Until that day when we can actually be sending the scientists themselves. You know, I, I, take me on that flight with you, please, um, to do their own work on the space station or on the moon or on Mars or wherever else it might be that that we are traveling in space. Um, mm. But I think the key is this: this presence, um, especially for young girls. I think, and I have a son who um, is now 19, just started college. You know, God bless him. Um, and I watched at school how the boys reacted on career day. Right? You know, it didn't matter to them if it was a man or woman standing in front of the classroom talking about something. They're just looking at it like, "Oh my gosh, is this cool? Is that something I might want to do?" And you know, and thinking about it that way whereas for the most part and while i don't like to stereotype anything for the most part young girls are looking there and saying okay you know they're looking for somebody similar to them they're looking for somebody that kind of represents them to say that might be possible for them you know sadly um so we got to be there you know we've got to be out there um being present and i think that's going to continue for a while and i hope there's a time where we're not talking about having to you know um highlight women or men in space because we're we're needing to encourage them to be there that it's just you know a mix of humanity happening and you're right and the nasa astronaut office you know 35 plus percent you know female representation now across the human space program you know those numbers are probably on par and yeah you can tell the um you know how we encourage uh, women to enroll in programs at universities. Um, somehow we need to be getting them better in the middle school time frame. I think um, mm-hmm. being present then to, you know, encourage them to keep um, pursuing, keep aiming aiming higher. And there's a really wonderful event going on in Atlanta this weekend, um, in parallel with World Space Week and with International Day of the Girl, and supporting uh, the upcoming Artemis mission. You know, the themes behind the Artemis mission, miss mission, where you know, NASA is looking to put the next humans on the moon, of which um, that will include the first, you know, female astronaut and um, person of color. So lots of great things to look forward to.
1: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line, it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder
0: in space. And I think yes. it'll encourage other, other industries as well.
1: So we are going to take some questions from the audience and we have one about, uh, Presumably uh, from somebody uh, who either has a healthy dose of self-confidence or his parents uh, picked a name that I was going to choose for one of my kids, Prince Charming, uh, who wants me to ask you about yes. space elevators. I guess this would be a way to reduce the cost, you know, to nothing once you build the out- elevator. I suppose. Um, what is uh, what is your thought about the ultimate reduction in the cost per pound to take uh, items to space uh, using a space elevator? Is it feasible?
0: Yeah, I you know, I, t- 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 in all honestly, I don't know if that if that will be feasible. I, there's a lot of um, um, minds greater than mine that are, are looking that and kind of evolving the idea of that technology over time. Um, I think that the in in the end, there is there is feasibility to it. Um, I think they've shown that it's more about how do you, what are the protections you put in place. Um, with respect to how that elevator is deployed, right? You know, how do you protect? You know, already when we do launches, we have this range control system, right? Um, that you know clears out boats and planes and everything from the surrounding area for yes. where you're going to launch a rocket, and protects in case there is an accident what that you know debris field might be in the surrounding area, and so that same kind of thing is going to have to come in, into play, and perhaps even with with a lot more thoughtfulness when you talk about deploying something like, you know, a a thin line, um, that's gonna, you know, go between point A and point B, A on the planet and B someplace in space. And how do you manage that both physically and um, with respect to what could happen with it.
1: Right. Uh, next, we do have on Twitter, we have a request from uh, Joe Su, I guess. Do you think ultimately the, the sacrifice for getting both you individually and humans as a species to get the cosmic perspective as past guest Neil deGrasse Tyson says, um, do you think it's worth it? It's an awful lot of money. Um, and, and what do we get in return? Is it worth it for us Integrating over the entirety of uh, of our species.
0: Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I think there's a. I, I think we could talk all day about this. Quite honestly, um, there's there's all different kinds of levels of this. Um, you know, one being uh, this what you just said, this cosmic perspective, this um, in in the words of Frank White, this overview effect, this this sense of who and where we are in space together, even though. You know we should know that without having (laughs) to travel to space but um i don't know of anyone that has traveled to space and not come back to earth with with a little bit of a shift with um you know something life-changing for them that really drives it's it's like a call to action it's Mm -hmm. um a need you know not just to share the experience that you had but to put you know put something to work um you know that's meaningful that um, encourages other people to you know to do things that are meaningful to you know again for the benefit of all life we share this planet with um so that alone you know in addition to the fact that as humans we are going to explore we're going to do it you know with (laughs) um and i think regardless of what it will cost um but um, and I won't get this this totally right, but I think this is this is something interesting to me. Um, and my my husband, who is like the sci-fi expert of the world, but um, author and I would say philosopher Larry Niven has a quote that's not um, typically attributed to him. A lot of people use it and and don't um, maybe even know where it came from. But it's something like you know, if the dinosaurs um, had had a, a space program, they wouldn't gone gone extinct. <laughs> And and if we don't have one, it'll be our own fault. <laughs> so um, again, I think all of what we're doing um, at a relatively, in the grand scheme of things, low cost um, to explore space to bring those lessons back to Earth um, is something that we just will need to do from here on out. And you know, this multiplanetary species thing that we talk about in terms of taking ourselves, you know, humanity continuing. Um, you know, at some point the the sun is not going to be so kind to us, right? And if we're still just here in the alone in the solar system, um, you know, just going to Mars isn't going to save us either. So we've got to we got to again we got to bring that Star Trek reality to life, right?
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> right. That's where we began with yeah. uh, with uh, Captain Kirk, who boldly went where yeah. no human had been before. And right. uh, I want to close again with this wonderful theme that runs throughout this truly delightful book and we're speaking about back to earth i'm gonna have it floating here in zero g uh <laughs> it's it was uh, it's such a it's such a delightful read it's full of of images of nicole i have the hard copy the kindle copy um and i will get the audio copy i'm sure because uh because of that is the way i like to do things this book really does um convey on a personal level I think, you know, people, when they say, oh, an artist, or, or you know, she, she's a mother. I mean, Nicole is hardcore. I mean, she, you are one of the toughest <laughs> badasses that I've ever known. And it was funny because your publicist didn't know that you'd already been on the show. And she's like, would you be interested? I was, yes. I saw Nicole, yes. Uh, and this is like six months ago. So thank you. I thank
0: love you.
1: this book so much. Back to Earth. It's the a story of what life in space taught her, but really what it teaches all of us about how our home planet. And our mission to protect it is so vital and so crucial. And you have a theme that runs through the book. And I just want to close with that. Um, this theme: off the Earth, but for the Earth. What does that mean to you now that you're on the Earth? <laughs> uh, yeah. Is your perspective forever changed, or...
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And um, you know, that's that that off the Earth, for the Earth. It's the motto of the International Space Station. And um, my friend and astronaut classmate and crewmate. um, Kevin Ford coined that um, as on his mission patch when he was getting ready to fly to the space station and the space station program loved it so much that like, Oh, we got to keep it. We got to keep it for the the program as a whole, because I think it's so it's just so beautifully um, fits everything we're doing in space. And and the whole point is to bring it back to Earth is to take the lessons we learn there about how we work together, about the science that we're you know, investigating um, to improve life on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everybody should know about that. And everybody should take that as, um, yeah, I mean, my hope in, in reading this book is that people really will, they'll, they'll read it, they'll reflect on what I experienced, but they'll make their own connection, their own relationship to the stories and they'll discover their own way, their own call to action to behave like crewmates and not passengers here on spaceship earth
1: oh it's truly delightful and it's delightful and uh really an honor to talk to you uh nicole stott who is, as I say, a hero. She's just so genuine, easy to talk to. We didn't geek out about aviation this time. I refer you to my Uh, previous conversation from last year with Nicole uh, last summer, which was uh, really a highlight of my podcasting career. And I wish you great success with this, and I want to encourage my listeners uh, to buy this book and also to stay tuned on Tuesday. We'll have Commander Chris Hatfield on for his new book, The Apollo Murders. It's so scary, (laughs) but it's appropriate for Halloween month, right, Nicole?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. You know, Chris Chris's book, Apollo Murders, mine, Back to Earth, and then you need to get Eileen Collins on with you, her book. Please. Um, is, would connect uh, me coming, with her. all three launching on October twelfth with William Shatner, Captain Kirk going <laughs> into to space, space. Launching uh, to space that same day too. <laughs> uh,
1: we have an abundance of astro explorer authors. If you would put me in touch with Eileen, I would be forever I grateful. I would be
0: happy to do that. And I, I want to, to
1: again thank you and encourage folks to tune in. Uh, and do you have any questions you want to ask Chris because uh, he's my next guest on the show?
0: Any oh, questions good. for Chris? I, 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 I'll, I'll ask him after he's on your show. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Nicole, thank you so much okay. for joining us. All Please, right, everybody, you. follow Before her. look forward to meeting uh, in person. Yes, I know. I'll be in Florida maybe early next year, so we'll be in touch. Okay, maybe we could do a live way. a live episode in the
0: follow-up. That would be fun. That would be fun. And thanks to all the listeners. Really appreciate your your support.
1: It's so much Read fun. Read the book. Yes, yeah, thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye-bye, guys. Thanks, Nicole.
0: Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic.
1: Please support the show by rating, commenting, sharing, and leaving reviews. We appreciate hearing from you, and it really helps keep our universe expanding. Watch our YouTube channel at Dr. Brian Keating. That's D R Brian Keating. And join our premieres Tuesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Follow Brian on Twitter and Medium, and support us on Patreon at Dr. Brian Keating. For exclusive content, visit Brian Keating's website and sign up for his informative newsletter at briankeating.com. Into the Impossible is produced with the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination in the Division of Physical Sciences at the University of California, San Diego. Produced by Stuart Valko and Brian Keating.